You know, if someone was to ask the question, who are you, how would you reply? It depends so much on how you want the person asking the question to identify you with someone or something. For example, if I'm at a whānau hui with uh, long-lost relatives of my wife, my darling beautiful wife, I have to add that in, you know that, men. Amen. 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 (laughs) Then my response may be that I'm Lorraine's husband because she's the person affiliated with the gathering and the person that they may know. On the other hand, if I'm at a function for service station owners, I might say I'm uh, the owner of Bayview Services in Fotofifi. That would identify me with the, the thing that we were doing together. Our response to such questioning is designed to give people a context of how we relate, either to people, events, places, or circumstances. The most common response is obviously to simply tell people your name. Can you imagine how difficult life would be if we didn't have personal names, if we didn't have different names? Can you imagine if we were all called John or Paul or Raniera? Well, maybe not Raniera. But can you imagine if someone was to call out Paul and a hundred people answered yes? How confusing would life be? The fact is we, more, uh, we are more often identified by our first name and following that we're often assessed against our character, our actions, our reputations, our relationships. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Friends, having given your heart to Jesus, you become a new creation. You were born again. Your name remains the same, but you entered a new era in your life. Just as Church Unlimited is in a new era, an era of acceleration of expansion. So, although your name remains the same, you should expect change. You should expect change. Change. Change in your character, your behavior, your actions, your relationships, all things are new. And what is so cool is that all that is required to access this amazing change is faith. Which leads me to the title of my message today Five Words of Faith. Five Words of Faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for Church Unlimited. I thank you for all of those that are gathered here today, Lord. And I just pray that. Our hearts are open, our minds receptive, that our ears hear the word as it goes forth. And Lord, I just declare Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is faith? The dictionary defines faith as trust or confidence in a person or a thing, a strong conviction, fidelity to one's promises, or sincerity. And that's a great explanation. But the Bible in Hebrews 11 and verse 1 tells us, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is actually our ability to believe without seeing, to know without experience. It's always fascinated and intrigued me that when I go to the Word so often, key figures remain nameless. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed how key figures in the Bible, people that play an integral part in the story of the Bible, 
remain nameless. Take, for example, Mrs. Noah, the mother of all humanity following the great flood, and yet no name. Who do you think cleaned the ark? Not Noah. How about Mrs. Lot, Lot's wife? Genesis 19.26 tells us, but his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. She was truly the salt of the earth. Looking back on it, she was a pillar of society. No, I'm just kidding. It's all right. Some of you got it. It's good. Throughout the Bible, individuals' names so often speak of their character or destiny. What I've come to realize, though, is that where God's inspired word does not give a personal name to a key character in Scripture, there are always significant lessons to be learned from their character or their interaction with Jesus or with God himself. I want to talk to you this morning about the story in Mark chapter 5, verse 25 to 34. Just 10 verses, but they speak of incredible faith. The amazing count of the nameless woman with the issue of blood. Let me read it. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better. In fact, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself the power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. The woman with the issue of blood. What an awful and tragic reference. No name, just an acknowledgement of a long-standing physical infirmity. Imagine it. Yeah, I just had lunch with the woman with the issue of blood. Or got to take my taxi camel to pick up the woman with the issue of blood. She's going to see another physician. Now, I'm certain that like all of us, she had a name. But in this case, the name was a little relevant. She remains nameless. So what does God want us to learn from this woman's interaction with our Lord and Savior? I want to highlight a number of points with particular reference for us. In the NLT version, Mark 5.26 says, She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Church, this woman had suffered for 12 long and painful years. An ailment on which she had spent all her money and she was worse than when she first sought treatment. All her efforts had produced no benefit, no relief, no respite, no healing. Nothing good had come from it. It can so easily be our story too. Not necessarily the uh, issue of blood, but we all have issues of our own throughout our life. And I'm sorry, I have to break the bad news to you, but following Jesus doesn't mean a life without challenges. In Psalm 46, 1, the psalmist tells us, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Be assured we're guaranteed times of trouble. But the good news is that there is a refuge, a real strength, a help in these times. And the woman knew where that was and who that was. In verse 27, it tells us she had heard about Jesus. Incredibly, unbelievably, 
Despite her lonely, solitary existence, she had heard about Jesus. Five words that speak of incredible faith, unbelievable faith. She had heard about Jesus. If we as Church Unlimited are to be that arrow of truth, the one represented over here, and winning souls, taking the gospel to the nations, if if lives are to be touched and eternally changed, if we are to realize this new era of conquest, then just like this woman, people need to hear about Jesus. Jesus the healer, Jesus the savior, Jesus the redeemer, Jesus the provider, Jesus the protector, Jesus the refuge, Jesus the helper, Jesus the good shepherd, Jesus our strength in times of trouble, Jesus the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Amen. The question is, who have you shared Jesus with? Who have you taken the time to share your Jesus with? You see, the woman knew her Jesus, as we see in Mark 5, 28, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. It it wasn't guesswork. She knew Jesus. She knew what he could do. She knew exactly where her healing lay. By faith, by faith, she knew who her healer was. She'd never met him, never seen or experienced his miracle healing power, and had no more than a second-hand account of the carpenter's son from Nazareth. But whoever shared Jesus with her, whoever spoke to her about Jesus, spoke of his grace and mercy, saved her life, changed her destiny and her future, and enabled her to be made whole again, and it took just one thing, faith. So again, who have you shared Jesus with? As we know from verse 29, after the woman touched the hem of his garment, immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. I want to put this event in context for you because although we read of this healing miracle and are in awe of the healing power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, the Scripture does not give us a real picture of the context of the story. In the first instance, this woman had been stricken with the issue of blood for 12 years. And under the law, the law of Moses that ruled at the time, she was ceremonially unclean. And any person touching her would also be made unclean. Church, it was just like being a leper. Unable to be in public, no human touch, no affection, no compassion. People purposely avoiding any form of contact with you, ostracized and outcast alone. Not for a day, not for a week, not for one year, not for five, but for 12 long, desperate, lonely years. Can you imagine it? Can you even begin to understand the suffering, the humiliation, the solitary existence as a result of this physical infirmity. I can't in my wildest nightmare imagine what that must have been like. I've tried to empathize with um, this woman, but I can't. And that's my human inability, and honestly, that matters very little. What matters is that there was someone who could empathize, and even more than that, he could do something about it. Yes, church, Jesus could, and more importantly, did. It never ceases to amaze me how Jesus turns the natural into supernatural, turns the normal upside down and inside out. Remember the leper in Matthew 8, verses 1 to 4. Jesus had just delivered that monumental sermon on the mount. Uh, And as he was coming down, 
he was confronted by the leper. The leper said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus' response is one that we should all have burned into our heart and soul, that we should recall daily, that we should meditate on regularly. He said, I am willing to be cleansed. Church, nothing has changed in 2,000 years. One of my favorite verses, Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whatever area of your life, whatever area of your life needs the touch of the living God through his Holy Spirit, he is willing. He's able. He wants to be what you need. Other scriptures, John 11 and verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. These are promises. These are promises that we need to take into our hearts, know and understand. Matthew 21 and verse 22. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. John 14 and verse 13. And whatever you may ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Consider this. In the natural scheme of things, if the poor woman with the issue of blood was to touch another person, they became unclean, defiled, impure. They would require purification by the priest through sacrifice. But touching Jesus, reaching out and just touching even the hem of his robe in faith turned the natural into supernatural. Immediately, miraculously, instantly, she was restored, healed, made whole. Her suffering ended right then and right there. And what's more, when she touched Jesus, she didn't make Jesus unclean. He made her clean. The natural became supernatural. You see, this woman didn't need a sacrifice. The sacrificial lamb of God was present. The one whose sacrifice on the cross at Calvary would take away the sins of the world. But this morning, I want to just share with you something else. Something the Lord showed me some time ago as I meditated on this story. I'd never heard this particular truth spoken of. But I want to tell you that the truth is that the crowd was thronging around Jesus. And I suppose the, the closest thing we get to seeing that now is when we watch Donald Trump walk through all of his supporters or we see some famous rock person going to some award or other and people are thronging. They're, they're crowding together. They're touching each other. You know, the truth is that as this woman made her way through that crowd, Every person she touched became unclean. And every person they touched became unclean. And every person, you've all seen that ad with the soap, you know, one tells one and two tells two and four tells four, etc., etc. It's exactly the same. The truth of this story is that every person in that crowd, every person that was touched by another person was made unclean. Hmm, what's the significance of that? Under the law of Moses, this woman could and should have been stoned for her actions. Not far nor stoned, with real stones. Real stones that, as Stephen found out, killed a first martyr. The fact is that she should have been stoned to death, but because of Jesus, because of his mercy and his grace, she was not only spared, but she was instantly healed of her 12 years of misery and suffering. But even more, even more than that, all of those who had been made unclean in this throng, in this crowd, were also made whole. They were restored. 
Miraculously, when Jesus felt healing power go out from him, he turned to see who it was, who had been responsible. And verse 33 tells us, the frightened woman came with fear and trembling and fell at Jesus' feet, relaying her story to him. Now, church, she wasn't afraid of Jesus. She wasn't trembling in fear of Jesus. She knew that she had been immediately and miraculously healed. When she came, she was in awe of that miraculous power. She was in awe of her Savior, her healer, her redeemer. She was in awe of Emmanuel and recognized God with us, which is what the name means. Folks, she had heard about Jesus, five words of faith. More importantly, she now knew that the Jesus she had heard about was real, and yes, he was willing. So much so that when he reached out in faith, his healing power was released. Church, it's our faith in Jesus and the acceptance of his willingness to intercede on our behalf that enables his power to work in every area of our lives. An amazing fact about what happened that day was that the woman openly told her story to Jesus, but more importantly to the crowd. This crowd we've seen were all made ceremonially unclean, all therefore required a sacrifice to be made clean, and all had the right to seek justice for the woman's act. But when Jesus felt the healing power go out from him in verse 30, not only did it heal the woman's physical infirmity, it also healed her injustice, her breach of the law of Moses. It restored her physically, spiritually, socially, and even legally. It restored literally every aspect of her life. Everything in that single action of healing power being released. And this is the first time we read in the Bible of, of healing being dispensed miraculously and almost unintentionally. By faith... By faith it was released, but it was to set a precedent that others would come to follow because they had heard about Jesus. Those five words of faith yet again, they had heard about Jesus. So let's look at the very next chapter in the book of Mark, in Mark 6 and 53 to 56, and it says, When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him him being Jesus, they ran through the whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. Hebrews 11 is often referred to as the faith chapter and remember our opening scripture, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Just like the woman with the issue of blood, all these people had heard about Jesus, but more importantly, they had faith. Faith in both his ability and his willingness to heal. What about you and me? What about us? Hmm. Does your faith lead you to Jesus first? Do you come boldly before the throne, believing in faith that he is the answer? Or, as I know I have done so often in the past, do you try everything you know first? Like the woman with the issue of blood, do you spend all your resources, time, money, etc., etc., and then only when all else fails, when you're worse off than when you started, 
in desperation do you turn to the cross as a last resort? Do you finally turn to Jesus for a crisis prayer solution? When issues arise, health, financial, relationship, work, issues, anything for which you can see no light at the end of the tunnel, let me ask you, what's your default setting, your go-to response? Hebrews 4 and verse 16 states, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I remember a saying I once heard that stayed with me, though I I don't recall the author, but it goes like this. When the troubles of life drive you to to your knees, just remember you're in the perfect position to pray. When you think you have nothing else, we find it so easy to pray. When things are great, we find it so easy to pray. How about the middle ground? Church, we need to take the middle ground. We need to take the ground that says things are going along. I have some issues. We need to take that ground. We need to take it for Christ, and we need to rely on his ability to overcome it. We have the promise. You know, how often do we put our faith in the wrong place, the wrong thing, or the wrong person? There have been many times in my own life, in my personal life, business life, sporting, career, family, when my faith has been validated. But there are a great many more times probably when it hasn't. I spoke a few weeks ago about our camping exploits. As we erected the tent that day, I had faith it would serve the purpose. Uh, Not. Similarly, I've placed my faith in people on numerous occasions and has not been validated, and the result can be painful. I recall a particular uh, incident when I was much younger. I was with three other mates of mine, and we ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time. About a dozen gang members approached us at a public event and began to taunt us, making threats and generally giving us a hard time. Now, the one thing I knew was that I had the mouth. Uh, and I thought that my associates had the muscle. I had faith that the, we were significantly outnumbered. Uh, they'd see us through. Uh, not. Two of us were left to answer for my bravado. Two deciding that discretion was the better part of valor. And the, and, and the price, my friends, was four stitches to my right eye, broken ribs, cuts, abrasions, and various bruises. Lots of the bruising was to my ego, I've got to say. Uh, it suffered badly that day. You know, my mates certainly couldn't assert that they would never leave me nor forsake me. But I know someone that will. (laughs) You know, I'm sure we've all heard the term blind faith. We've all exercised blind faith at some time, probably much more than we realize. For example, when you came to church this morning, you probably went out, started your car without thinking, drove here, believing you would get here. Safely, no problem. Blind faith. Or even simpler, how about when you sat down? You had faith that the chair you're sitting on was going to hold you. You didn't give it a second thought. You just sat down. Blind faith that the chair was going to hold you up. You know, faith in Jesus is definitely not blind faith. It's definitely not faith that we can't think about, we can't see, we can't have evidence of. It's faith based on promise. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12 and verse 2 that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith 
And in Ephesians 2 and verse 8, Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is a gift of God. You know, when the woman with the issue of blood saw his grace, Jesus saw her faith. So it was that by grace through faith that God's promise became sure in her life, and she was healed. It's time for us to get back to the basics of our faith, our faith in Jesus. In his finished work at the cross and his sacrifice, his paying the price for us that we might be justified, righteous, without condemnation, redeemed, saved, eternally blessed, having the Holy Spirit within. And in these things, in these absolute truths, these irrefutable and undeniable truths, we can and must place our faith in the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. Church, we're called to spread the good news about Jesus, to be an arrow of truth. But to fill this directive, we have to know the good news about Jesus and have faith in him and in the word of God. We must have experienced Jesus in our lives, the living God, the Holy Spirit within each and every one of us. Perhaps for some of us, the first person we need to really share Jesus with is ourselves. Perhaps we have been or have become more than a little apathetic about our healer, savior, redeemer, provider, refuge, helper, strength in times of trouble, Lord of lords and king of kings. Perhaps those have become words more than they've become the identity of a person, the person of Jesus Christ, our Jesus. You know, it's not our knowledge of Jesus that matters. It's our relationship with him. Knowledge can be little more than the gathering of information, the accumulation of data. Well, a computer can do that. Seriously. The accumulation of data. It's nothing to do with that. Relationship. Now, that's a different story. That requires a heart engagement, a personal commitment. And what I know is that following a heart transaction with Jesus, the Bible says all things are new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Remember, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Meditating on the Word of God and prayer are the ways of growing our personal relationship. He will turn your test into your testimony and your trial into a triumph. He will. He will turn your test into a testimony. That's not an idea. It's not a thought. It's a promise. It's a promise from the living God. Directly to you, personally, individually. Not to the church, it's to you. And that's the relationship he wants with you. Let me ask you this. Though the Bible doesn't tell us, what do you think the woman with the issue of blood, do you think she kept the good news of Jesus to herself? No way. I can see all your heads shaking, and you're right. No way, not in a million years. We know that her experience set an example for others to follow. Remember Mark 6, 53 to 56? The lame, the sick, the deaf, the dumb, the blind, touching his hem just as she had done before them. Picture the before and after of this encounter with Jesus. On her way there, she was sickly, depressed, ashamed, alone, lonely. No, she wasn't. No, she wasn't. That's not the picture you need to have. She wasn't any of those things. I don't believe that for a minute. Church, I believe she was full of hope. And she was full of faith. She had heard about Jesus. She was so sure of her impending healing that she risked life and limb to receive it. She had heard about Jesus. 
and nothing was going to keep her from her healing salvation or her healing Savior. She had heard about Jesus. Church, it's time for all of us to step up and step out. And just as Jesus has always been there for us, always ready, always willing to meet our every need, we need to remember that we all heard about Jesus, not just for us. It wasn't just for our personal benefit. We heard that we might share Jesus with others. Whānau, family, friends, neighbours, workmates, associates, anyone and everyone. You know, the last passage of the story, verse 34, and he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. The NLT, puts in, the NLT version puts it this way. Go in peace, your suffering is over. I love that directive. You know, he's telling her to go. He's telling her, I've done what I can do. You've done what you needed to do. Now go. What he didn't say is share it. Let people see. Let people know. But that was going to be a natural consequence of her encounter. You know, first Jesus is saying, it's your faith that accomplished the miracle. And if you think about that, we can take from it no faith, no healing. No faith, no miracle. No faith, no remedy. No faith, no solution. No faith, no overcoming. Faith is always the key to overcoming through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is always willing and able. Our part is faith. Believing the promises that are throughout the Bible, being willing and able to believe that Jesus is the answer, having faith in him. Do you remember Jesus' harshest criticism of his disciples? In Matthew 14, 31, he said, you have such little faith. In Matthew 8 and verse 26, why are you afraid you have such little faith? Matthew 6 and verse 30, why do you have such little faith? Do you notice that Jesus never said, oh, you of little prayer? Oh, you of little Bible reading? Oh, you of little tithing serving? Oh, you of little worshiping and praising? No, he didn't say those. All of those things are great, and they all lift up the name of Jesus, but that's not what he said. He said, oh, you of little faith. And you know, without faith, all of those things I just mentioned are mere acts of religion. They're more things that you do for you than you do necessarily for him. We must act in faith. And finally, Jesus says, go in peace, your suffering is over. The word peace there is the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom is much more than just the absence of concern or unrest. It implies a complete calm, restoration of normality, everything being made right. No disarray or disorder, a balance. In this case, the woman had in every sense been restored, as we saw earlier. Her suffering was indeed over. No matter what you're suffering today, no matter what the problem, have faith that Jesus has the answer. Before the problem existed, he was waiting to demonstrate his grace through your faith. I want to end with a recap of some key points of the message. And the first one is that everyone needs to hear about Jesus. And you need to do your bit. Faith comes by hearing. If you're not talking, no one's hearing. Faith comes by hearing. And we need to do our bit to spread the word about our Lord and Savior. Number two, we need to grow our own knowledge and faith through the word and through prayer. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. By the word of God, we hear the truth. We can hear a lot of things in the world. Make no mistake, it's discerning the truth from the rest. And the truth is in the word of God. Your faith will come by hearing the word of God. Number three, Jesus is always ready, always willing, and always there 
and ready to meet our needs. He has the answer. We have the questions. We need to reach out. Number four is though the world will present obstacles and barriers to keep us from receiving the touch of Christ in our lives, in faith, just like this woman did, we need to push through. We need to push through and reach out. We can't sit in our house for 12 years. We can't be solitary individual. We have to push through. And yes, the world will put things in your path to distract and draw you away from your loving Savior because the enemy wants nothing more than that. His sole purpose is to keep you from your Savior, from your salvation, from your Redeemer. Church, we have to push through and reach out. Number five, all his promises will come to pass in his time. You know, I've heard people say, oh, you know, I've prayed for this and it hasn't happened. Oh, I've prayed for this and it hasn't. It's not your time. It's not your time. It's God's time. Things will come to pass. His will will be done. And, you know, we often pray that. You know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will. It's not what we want. It's what he wants. And what we need is faith to walk in the things that he has for us. And finally, number six is faith is believing that by grace, the promises in his word will be fulfilled in our lives. In his time, his promises in our lives. And all it requires from us is faith. It requires that we act in faith, we walk in faith, we live in faith. We walk in faith, not by sight. I'll bring this waka back to shore. I still don't have a plane. Tuck obviously flies in his, when he... Uh, ends his messages. Church, as we come to the end of the service, I want to remind us all that the same healing power that overcame the woman's affliction is available to each and every one of us today. Today, we can know so much more about our Lord and Savior than this afflicted afflicted woman could ever have known. The knowledge of his birth, death, and resurrection are central to our Christian faith. The question is, does our greater access to and knowledge of Jesus equate to greater faith? Are you willing to step out? Are you willing, as this woman did, to take risks for Jesus, for his kingdom, here, now? You know, all that the woman needed was a secondhand verbal account of the healing power of Jesus, healing that eluded her for 12 years. The question was, would she be prepared to do what was necessary to access it, to take the opportunity to overcome her affliction Jesus was going to be available in her space, within reach, close at hand. But church, she had to do something. She had to do her part to achieve her overcoming. It wasn't enough that she knew about Jesus. She had to step out of her comfort zone, exercise the faith that she had in her heart. She had to leave the sanctuary of her home, her safe place, her haven. She had to walk to the place where Jesus would be, risk life and limb, and put herself where she needed to be to receive. She had to push through the hustling and bustling crowd, pressing in on all sides, trying to get close enough to reach out and to touch him. Church, there were dozens, scores, probably hundreds of people jostling and pushing, grabbing at Jesus, reaching, straining for a touch. The question is, and I've thought about this one often, I don't have an answer. So I'm going to give it to you and you can think about it often. 
The question is, with so many people pressing in, so many people who must have touched him, why was it that all these people touched him and there was no effect? Why were none of them affected by Jesus? And the conclusion I come to is simple. I believe that one touch from a woman with the issue of blood released the awesome healing power, drew on the resources of heaven, and I believe touched every single person in the crowd because of faith, her faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So the worship team come. I'd just like to wind up today. And today, church, let's learn from his word. For 12 years, the woman had suffered. She tried all she knew, used all her resources, yet remained the same. Until that one day when she pushed through, when she reached out, when she stepped out. Until she had an encounter with Jesus. Just one touch, one moment, one interaction, one step. No matter what your affliction is today, perhaps it's health, perhaps you've had a not-so-good report from your doctor, perhaps it's financial, perhaps the money runs out before the week does. We can all suffer from that. Perhaps it's relationships you can't seem to get in the same book, let alone on the same page. Perhaps it's work or lack of it. The list can be endless, can seem overpowering, debilitating, too big, too hard, a mountain too high, but the Bible, the inspired Word of God tells us in the book of Matthew 17 and verse 20, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you.